Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Oh man, what a week. What a week we've had. I mean, just it feels like there was like a three-day ramp up and then our world just got turned upside down. And now we're kind of living in this normal. I mean, can you imagine? I was trying to think what illustration would even fit such a, a huge change to help us understand. I mean, I was like, could you imagine if, you know, one day your school that your kids goes, goes to says, hey, starting tomorrow, you're going to be your kid's primary teacher. I mean, can you imagine something that crazy? Still, might still be too soon for the, uh, for the parents on that one. But that's what's happening. It's a crazy world. And y'all, I was thinking about well, where do we go from here as a church in terms of receiving from God's word the teaching that we need in this moment. And as we deliberated, what we remembered is that while this moment is unprecedented for our era, the complete upheaval of life is something that Christians actually have a very rich history in. Right? I mean, in fact, the church has had its greatest moments often in times like these where the world gets shaken up. The church was born into hardship. The church was born into suffering, born into unknown days that was very aware of how fragile life really is. And I'm telling you, what I think is going to happen is God's word is going to come alive to us now in these moments because we've got this window where our world feels just a little bit more like the world that the Bible was written into. And I'm not, like, I'm not celebrating this disease at all. I'm, I'm grieving it, frustrated by it. But I know that the God who carried the first church through plagues and persecution and who has carried the church throughout 2,000 years of plagues and persecution is the same God that is carrying us now. All right, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 8. In 2019, we began a multi, what will be a multi-volume series of sermons going through the book of Acts called You Are Sent. And we did volume one in 2019, then we, we stepped away to do some other things, of course, and basically today, we're going to open up volume two. The title of the series, You Are Sent, comes from Acts 1.8 where Jesus says to the disciples, here's what's going to happen. You're going to receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when you receive that power, then you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, which is where the church started, then to Judea and Samaria, and then to the far ends of the earth. Basically, what's going to happen, Christians, is you're going to be sent out into new and uncharted territory you've never been to before. And as you go, you have a power and you have a mission. The power is going to be the presence of God actually going with you. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit is going to be with you. So that's where the power is going to come from. And then the mission is going to be to bear witness, to tell about Christ and what he's done in those new places that he sends them. 
Like the power of God is going to come out in signs and wonders that are going to be done, right? And it's going to be caring sacrificially for your community. But those are just signs to validate the message that you're going to carry, which is Christ has died for your sins and has risen again to offer you new life and life eternal with the Father. The signs are going to bear witness to the message and validate the message. Okay, church, you're being sent out with that. And the rest of the book of Acts shows the first church walking through a whole lot of uncertainty with a joyful peace that steadied them as they went. Today, volume two, we begin in Acts 8, and I think it's going to be a rich time for us leading us up to Easter because we need the power of God and we need the mission of God. We need to see what God is calling us to in this hour. So we'll talk through the passage, and here's what I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you the life of the scattered church, what God wants to do in times of crisis, where the church scatters. Because that just, y'all, in God's providence, we ended at the end of Acts 7, and Acts 8 begins with the scattering of the church, where the church is scattered all over the place. I can't imagine a more appropriate place for us to start as we look into this new world that we're standing in this morning. So Acts chapter eight, verse one, if you're newer to mercy, listen, the way we do this is we kind of walk through the passage, hopefully in a way to model for you how you could do this at home each day when you sit down with God's word. So I'll just kind of walk us through it and observe some things that the scripture's telling us and showing us. And then I'm gonna show you, I think three things the Lord is doing in times of crisis that we see in this passage, okay? Uh, So Acts eight, starting with verse one, here we go. Saul agreed with putting him to death. Super encouraging opening in our time, right? Uh, let me catch you up. What's happening here? Because obviously it's the middle of a, of a story. Chapter 7 ended with a Christian man named Stephen being stoned to death for preaching the gospel. See, he believed, uh, Stephen believed that Jesus was both the Savior and Messiah, and the community around him hated that message so much They hated Jesus so much that they killed Stephen, one of his followers, for preaching about it. All right, that's the setting. And then continuing in verse one, on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. We gotta see right here, severe persecution broke out on the day of Stephen's mob-led execution, it got worse for the church in Jerusalem. So bad that everyone, except the apostles, except the church leaders, everyone was scattered. It's called the diaspora. They're dispersed throughout Judea and Samaria. That should be ringing a little bit of bells from Acts 1-8, Judea and Samaria. That's now where they're, where they're scattered. Every Christian except the apostles. The apostles are staying in Jerusalem trying to keep the church alive as it goes underground. Verse two, devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women and put them in prison. And now listen, you wanna talk about a story it's going to be this guy, Saul. Now, Saul's not really our focus today. He's going to be either next week or two weeks. I'm trying to figure out how we're breaking up the rest of chapter 8 and into chapter 9. But I want you to see where he was. Because I know we got people that are with us today who may not know it, but this guy, Saul, is going to show up again. He's a murderer. 
He is on his way to murder more Christians. And in Acts chapter 9, God's going to stop him in his tracks and say, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting me? Because persecute my church is persecute me. And in that very moment, overwhelmed by God intervening in his life on this road to Damascus, Saul surrenders to God completely. And God says, you who once inflicted suffering against my name is now going to endure great suffering for my name. God spared his life, God saved him from his sins, and God set him on a course to be a church planter all around the Mediterranean. He even, y'all, he changed his life so much that he changed his name. He changed it to Paul, and he wrote most of the letters we have in the New Testament. The murderer who became a missionary the persecutor who became a preacher. And I tell you that story because some of you leaning in right now and listening today, you're curious about this whole Christian message. Maybe you're even a little bit skeptical about it. And the message to you today may be that today is the day. You didn't expect it, but God is gonna set your life on a new course. And God doesn't need to do that slowly. Now listen, it may take you a little bit, a little while to understand your calling that God has placed on your life, to line your life up with God's life if you've not been living in line with it. Yeah, that, that may take some time. But surrendering to him, that happens in a moment. And I want you to think, I want you to be open, I want you to open your heart and mind to that today. Others of you, I want you to be thinking about the coldest person you know spiritually right now. Maybe that's Saul that God's just preparing to be Paul. She's just not there yet, that friend of yours. She's just still Saul. You keep getting frustrated with how harsh they are, with how insulting they are to your faith, how self-centered they are. You just gotta realize that they're still in Acts 8. Acts 9 is coming, and in Acts 9, God's gonna show Saul how bankrupt his life is that he's been killing for, and he's gonna sit him down, and he's gonna give him a, purp- give him a new purpose, one that's worth dying for. Right now, your friend, your spouse, maybe they're just in chapter eight, and God is calling you to keep praying. I don't know, and you don't know, but I know God knows. And until he saves them or calls you home, your job, our job, is to pray to God on their behalf. It's because God is working. All right, like I said, more to come from our buddy uh, Saul in the, uh, the coming weeks. So let's go on to verse four. Well, he's not our buddy when he's Saul, but you know, when it comes to Paul and everything. Anyways, verse four. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. This is, this is just one of the key verses in the book of Acts that explains how the church got to where it was. Those who were scattered, remember who that was. It was everyone but the apostles, which means the members of the church. Right, and let's talk about that word scattered, what that means. They had to leave their homes, they had to leave their jobs, they had to leave everything they knew. They went away from their hometown, Jerusalem, not knowing if they would ever come back. This wasn't a hunker down for a few weeks situation. It was a, we don't know if we'll ever see you again situation. They were forced to go away from one another. No more coming on Sunday morning to church. No more security and safety of sitting under the apostles' teaching. They went on their way. Y'all, they were fleeing persecution. It's a terrifying thing to flee for your life and not know if or where you will find safety. To just go. And that's what they did. And what's the one thing that Luke makes sure, our author Luke makes sure to tell us that they did? 
without telling us their grand strategy, because y'all, there was no strategy. The church had never had this happen before. The church is only a few chapters old. There are no experts. Luke makes sure to tell us they did one thing. They preached the word. And that preaching doesn't necessarily mean big groups of people. They explained the word. They shared the word while they were going. And I think Luke tells us this, because listen, nothing, nothing will stop the word of God from going forward through the people of God. Nothing. Not until God himself comes back and says, it's done. (laughs) Nothing will stop that. In fact, every single time that someone has tried to do that throughout history, the gospel has only multiplied through God's people. The church always grows fastest and grows strongest in times of suffering and upheaval. Now, I'm gonna come back to this idea more than a moment. Here's what happens. We see Luke say this very important thing in verse four, and then the next thing he does is gives us an example. It's like, for instance, basically is what he says, and then we get to verse five. Philip, now Philip's a guy who's a deacon in the church who is known to be a good teacher of God's word. He went down to a city in Samaria, and he proclaimed the Messiah to them. One of the scattered. What's he do? Goes down to Samaria that should ring the bell. Remember Acts 1.8? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And the next phase of the ministry is gonna be in Judea and Samaria. And then we're gonna finish at the ends of the earth. Up to this point, the church has been in Jerusalem. And what they may not have realized in this moment was that the persecution was gonna be the means by which God would scatter the church in order to take the next step forward in completing the Great Commission. What seemed like chaos was in fact ordered. The moment in time that they were in was not a surprise to God. Samaria, God had been preparing and was now ready. We don't even get what city, because that's not important. What's important is the region, because the region is what Christ said they were going to go to in Acts 1-8. The region was now ready to receive the gospel. And while the church could only see what they were running from, and it was awful, God was sending them, sending them towards something wonderful, towards an awakening that was about to happen. Watch this, verse six. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were now healed. Listen, the presence of God came with Philip and that means the power of God came with Philip. And this was a power that Samaria had never seen before. You'll see in a few verses later, you see Simon the magician that there were spirits and there were things that were happening but nothing like the power of God descending on them that was happening now. And that power was there to verify the message that Philip was preaching. So people were freed from spiritual oppression. They were freed from physical suffering. And because of that, the crowds paid attention to what he said. What he did validated what he said. And church, God is doing something in our moment right now. I don't fully know what but I know that the true church has always acted with the heart of the Father and sought to alleviate suffering and oppression in times like these, whether by miraculous signs or natural signs of self-sacrifice. 
um, there's story after story I've been reading just in church history um, through different eras, like I was alluding to earlier. AD 165, Marcus Aurelius is emperor of the Roman Empire. There's a plague that spreads through the Roman Empire, killing about a third of everyone in the Roman Empire. Now, Christians at that time were a very small group. There's only 45,000 uh, estimates. Again, estimates is all we can get here. But about 45,000 people, as estimated, were, were there at that time. And the Christians became, 45,000 Christians, became known for their radical self-sacrifice. Like, that, they kept going toward the sick and caring for the sick and gathering together. Right, Even though they were such a small percent of the population, they started being recognized by everyone, Dionysius and some others who were recording what was happening, were like, these guys just keep going basically into the fire. They keep going into these hard spaces, serving the sick at great risk and cost to themselves. They didn't hoard toilet paper and ammunition because that's not what Christians do. They gave away what they had to be a blessing to others in need. And what happened is when the plague lifted, the pagan temples emptied and the churches exploded. Exploded. And it makes sense. Think about it. Put yourselves in the shoes of, of a Roman who's been watching this happen, right? Who would you turn to? Would you turn to the pagan temples that shut their doors to you, that said, stay away because we don't want to be near you? Or would you turn yourself towards those who have been self-sacrificing and who had given you water and food and supplies when you desperately need it? It's a no-brainer. And by the way, not for nothing, but the church, it's recorded, had a much lower mortality rate during the plagues than, than non-Christians. And, and what was going on there, some historians say, is that their just refusal to stop um, meeting together. They kept, in some form or another, continue to try to meet together, so that might have somehow lowered their mortality rate. But the point of all of it is, the church went into self-sacrifice mode, and out of that, God multiplied the body of Christ. And I know right now we're practicing social distancing, and as good citizens, we're gonna do that. Our government has asked us to do that, and it's good wisdom, but look, even in that, we should be doing that as an act of neighbor love, not neighbor fear. Does that make, that make sense to you? In other words, I'm practicing social distancing not because I'm afraid of contracting what you have, but because I'm afraid of spreading it unknowingly to those I might hurt. But I care about you. And however I can, I want to do that. Let's finish with verse eight. This is great. There was great joy in that city. Great joy. Philip walks into a city with the power of God and the mission to share the gospel, and the result is an abundance of joy. And I know this is what, this is what we want. I've been hearing it in your, in your emails and phone calls and in our um, hangouts online and everything. This is what we, we want joy in our city. We want to bring that. Are we willing to sacrifice ourselves in order to see that happen? From these first eight verses, I want to show you, I think, about three ways that God deepens. I'm going to say it this way. That God works in times of crisis. All right, three ways God works through his church in times of crisis. And here's the first one I think we see really clearly. He deepens our dependence on him alone in times of crisis. Y'all, this is like, this truth, this reality right here is the background of Acts 8. Stephen's murdered, persecution sets in, families are torn apart as Saul raids homes and throws people in prison. Everything that the church knew to be safe and secure was taken away. It was awful. They had to flee. 
And in that moment, the Christians had a choice. They could give up on this whole thing. I mean, what good is it doing them? They had to be asking themselves, hardship after hardship, why keep going with this? Well, here's what's happening. Burning in their hearts were the words of their Savior who says, whoever saves his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake will find true life. No more fallback plan, says the early church. No more, God, I'll trust you with these things, but not with these things. No, God, everything around me that I used to trust in is crumbling. So I'm trust you, and you alone, and nobody else. This is what God does in crisis. He shows you how powerless all these things are that we really put our trust in. Washington and Wall Street right now are trying their best, y'all. But for all the power those two institutions have, they've been overrun in a few weeks. And what you see the church saying is, as it says, they went on their, word, uh, went on their way, verse four, preaching the word. That's them saying, I might not have anything other than the clothes on my back, but I know what I can trust in. I know a savior who, according to Matthew 28, said he will be with me until the end of the age, and so I'm gonna trust in him. So here's my plain and simple call to us right now. Give yourself to God, fully and completely, with no reservation. God is working right now, make no mistake. He's shaking a lot of things that seemed sturdy. And there's a window, there's a window right now for us to wake up to our need for Christ. Maybe it's your need for Christ for salvation, and you have never placed your faith in him to save you from your sins, and today, that needs to be the step that you take. You're starting to see the reality of mortality, that life is more fragile than maybe we take it to, to be on a day in, day out, especially in the West. And today, you say, I recognize that, that I, what I need, what I really need, is salvation from my sins. And I see that Christ got up on the cross to pay for my sins. He rose from the grave, giving me new life, and I can't save myself. All the attempts I've had clearly aren't gonna work. Today I give my life to him. That needs to be your step. Maybe you need to wake up to your need for him in your marriage. As you spend more time with your spouse than maybe you have before, maybe you realize things aren't as sturdy as you thought there. You need God's grace to ask for forgiveness where you've sinned and to extend forgiveness where you've been sinned against. You need his grace for intimacy there. Maybe it's your need for him and your friendships. You need God to help you get real with, with your friends right now because the surface is shattered, so surface level friendships aren't gonna cut it anymore. You gotta lean in, and you're gonna need the grace of God there. Maybe you need him for provision. You don't know where your next meal is coming from, your next paycheck. You need him to step in and provide. In this window, here's what's gonna happen. You got a choice here. You can lean in, give yourself to God, and find true life. Or you can just find some new distractions. And the distractions are there. New ways to indulge and distract yourself. But that's all they will be, is distractions. And indulgences that will lead to nothing. Don't fall into that slumber again. God has woken you up. Give yourself to him and find true life. Lean into the gospel. Abide, he says in John 59. Abide in his love. Then you'll bear fruit. Look, if you're new to following Jesus, we wanna help you with that, okay? 
We're not just gonna tell you, go and do. We wanna help you. We want you to know you're not alone, especially if you feel alone right now. You are not alone. The presence of God is with you as a follower of Christ, and the community of God is here for you. We wanna help you. Uh, that's why I said that first time guest button there below. You can uh, click on that and just tell us, hey, I need community. I need some people. Reach out, pastorspence at mercycharlotte.com. Email me, I will figure out, and we will work together, our team will work together to find a way to connect you to community to help you follow Jesus, all right? Here's the second thing I think we see in times of crisis. In times of crisis, God opens new doors for the gospel to go forward. What seemed like the darkest hour in the church was actually God sending the church just on the next step in its mission, which should make sense. Because what seemed like the darkest hour in history when Christ was dying on the cross was actually God making a way to reconcile all of humanity to himself. The church went forward, trusting God with peace-filled hearts as they were scattered and with open eyes. Open eyes. Philip ends up in Samaria, so he preaches there. Period. That's where God sends him. So that's where he tells people about Jesus. After this, Philip's gonna wind up in a desert. A revival is breaking out in Samaria. This is a great new ministry opportunity. Oh, this is what God had all along. And then God says, I need you to go to the desert to talk to this one guy in the desert. And Philip's like, well, that's where the Lord's sending me. I'll go there. Talk about Jesus there, right? Both times people come to faith. Y'all, we're not all called to be evangelists. Like, it's not everyone's gifting, but everyone is called to Take the gospel as we are going and share it with those around us. Never has it been more important in our lifetime to look around and say, what might God be doing now? There's a, um, one of my favorite stories um, in the church that I've gotten to know some believers that are missionary partners with us. They're in a closed country, and one of the pastors in this closed country was telling me there was a time years ago where the government, the local government, rounded up the pastors in the community and threw them all in prison for preaching the gospel. Because they're like, that'll stop them. We'll just get the pastors, we'll throw them in jail, that'll stop them. Well, here's what happened. <laughs> the pastors started preaching the gospel in the prison, and the whole jail, all the prisoners in the jail came to faith. So the government was like, well, this is a problem. I know what we'll do. Instead, of, why did we put them in the same jail? We'll scatter them into separate prisons all around the island. That'll stop it. Ah, what ended up happening is that a whole awakening broke out in this whole country. And then about 20 years later, as everybody starts coming out of jail, one of the greatest awakenings the world has ever seen happens in this country because believer after believer comes out of the darkness of a prison cell declaring the holiness and majesty of Christ their Savior. Right? What if God's doing something like that now? Church, what we see is a dark moment. It's an opportunity ripe for the gospel. I was talking with my neighbor about this yesterday. I told him, I know it's, it's strange, but the church has thrived in moments like these because mortality is more in our face than ever before. And when life feels more fragile, which life is fragile, now we're just seeing it, people start thinking about what matters. And that is the audience the New Testament was written into. To a people who need a hope stronger. Listen to me. The New Testament was written into a, a people who needed a hope that was stronger than anything their world had to offer and a hope strong enough to hold up against anything that the world would throw at it. And the gospel is that hope. Here's the last thing I'll share with you. In crisis, God demonstrates his love through his people. I recognize that Samaria wasn't in 
a crisis like we are in right now. It was actually kind of the reverse of our situation. But Philip coming out, here's the thing that amazes me. Philip coming out of a crisis had more confidence, more power, more assurance than what the Samaritans had. He had what they needed and he gave it to them. He met their physical needs and he gave, and by meeting their physical needs, that gave him an audience to share Christ with them. And sometimes God does that through supernatural acts of healing like we see right here. And this is a new day, and we're going to receive that where God does that and where he gives that. A lot of the time, God works through self-sacrificing acts of mercy and generosity. And that's what we're going to lean into, where we practice radical generosity towards those in need. It looks a couple of different ways. First is just the organic way, which is neighbor love. Where, again, instead of hoarding and sequestering, we look, okay, how can I be a Self, how can I self-sacrifice? How can I give what I have to bless my neighbors in word and in deed? And I think that's us, Mercy Church, is a call. Whether that's on your apartment hallway to look out and see who can I serve or in your community or whatever form that looks like. And the other is organized. It's Mercy Ministry where the church pulls its resources together and thinks, how can we together bless our city? And Pastor Scott, our pastor of college and missions, is going to share us share um, to us a lot of the ways that we're going to do that as a church together here in just a moment. But here's what I want to do now. I want us to pray together, all right, because that's just what the church is called to do, is to believe God on behalf of others. And so I want to transition our time away from preaching God's word to now responding. Now that you've received it, I want you to respond to it. And I'm going to give you a couple of, a couple of ways you can pray. All right, we're going to do, there's three different um, prayer points that we're going to put on the screen. We're going to give you a moment to pray there in your own words. I'm going to kind of lead us through it, but then I'm going to pause and give you time to pray. If you're with a couple of people, take turns praying out loud together or just pray there. Pray out loud even if you're alone because God is listening. All right, God your Father is there and he is listening. Here's the first thing we're going to pray. It's just kind of walking back through the text. We're going to pray, God, make us dependent on you alone. God, if you really are stripping away all these other things, God, I sense a moment here where I need to lean in and listen to you. God, make me dependent on you alone. Maybe that means, God, I believe. I've never believed, really and truly. I've heard maybe before that you died for my sins. I've never believed it personally. I've never said, God, I'm turning from my sins and I'm trusting you with my life, that I'm giving my life to you. But maybe God make us dependent. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to. And now you see, God, I gotta trust you with all of it. For a lot of us, maybe it's finances or relationships. Those two buckets often is what God's working on. So you take a moment and you pray that and then I'm gonna lead us in our next point.
God, help us. Help us to be dependent on you alone. Awaken us, reveal to us where we have been trusting in our own strength, on our own power. Give us the humility to open our hands say, God, everything I have is yours. I trust you. The next thing we're going to pray is for God to help us to follow where his spirit is leading. There's new opportunities for the gospel now, and, and we want to pray. And here's the, the way I want to guide you in this. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Y'all, God has just kind of put that verse right on my heart for this season, and I'm asking our staff, and I would ask you to join us every day at 217 to pray this verse. We do not have a spirit of fear right now. The Holy Spirit is one of power, love, and sound judgment. And so we want to ask God, help us to follow you, your spirit. Help us to love others with the power of God and help us to have sound judgment. Help us to be wise about how we do that in a way that blesses our community, that doesn't just run headlong without thinking well. God, help us. So I want you to take a minute. I want you to pray for your community, your relationships, your neighborhood, and for us as a church. God, help us to follow where your spirit is leading. You pray, and then I'll transition us to our next point. to help us go through our next and final prayer point, I'm gonna invite uh, Pastor Scott. He's our college and missions pastor here at Mercy. He's gonna help us um, pray through how we love our city well. He's also gonna inform us on what it looks like for us to love our city well in this time. So I want you for the next couple of minutes to listen to Pastor Scott as he shares with us what it's gonna look like for Mercy to love our community well, and then he's gonna guide us in praying. Thank you, Pastor Spence. Uh, first off, I just want to say Mercy Church, it has been overwhelming to get the number of phone calls and emails from our members saying, Pastor Scott, please mobilize me, help me get into the game. And it's just been amazing. I just want to say on behalf of our staff team, on behalf of Mercy Church, thank you. Thank you to all of you that want to get involved. And what I want to do is I want to help us right now know what to do. So the first thing that we're going to be doing, there's going to be two opportunities I want to put us in the game towards. Uh, both You can find both of these on mercycharlotte.com slash local outreach. The first one is we're going to have a food drive on March 25th. Okay, Wednesday, March 25th, we're going to be having a food drive. Because here's, here's what we want to do. We have a great relationship with, with Eastway Middle School. And there are going to be a lot of families that are going to be 
at risk because of this crisis. A lot of people losing jobs, a lot of people uh, who'd normally be working, uh, single mothers, normally that would be working, uh, but now they have their kids at home, they're trying to figure out all this stuff together. What we want to do as a church is we want to fill their pantries. That's what we want to fill their pantries. So what we're going to do at Mercy Church is on the 25th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., we're going to have a food drive. So you can come up. You can drop off your food. There will be a Mercy Church representative to take it from your car and to take it inside. And we'll make sure that we get it to these families who are in need. Now, a couple things. Now, listen, this does not mean, Mercy Church, that you go into your pantry and grab your 8-year-old green beans. Okay? No. Get good food. All right? Let's fill these pantries with great food because that's what I know the Lord would want us to do. Now, the second thing I want, you to, I want to point you to is service opportunities. Okay? Now, we've been talking to uh, our ministry partners all throughout the city, and it's been a unique challenge, to be honest. It has been a unique challenge because the coronavirus is it's, it's a unique issue that every, we're all trying to figure out what to do because we want to help people, yes, but we also don't want to hurt people in the process. So what we want to do is, is there are a bunch of opportunities uh, on our website, a bunch of different ministry partners in our city, and there's two primary ways that they are telling us that we can partner with them. Number one is that we can buy food and take it to them. Just like the food drive that we're going to do at Mercy Church, almost all these ministries are, that are on our website are also doing something like that, some kind of a food drive. And the second opportunity is to give financially. Listen, yes, we want you to continue to give to your local church so that we can continue to do ministry out of Mercy Church, but listen, I don't know what it means for you. Maybe it's your tax return. I don't know what it is, but let's give above and beyond to these ministries because they are doing great, great work all throughout our city. Because listen, here's, here's my dream for our church. My dream for our church, my dream for all the other churches throughout Charlotte is this, that when the mayor looks at the needs in our city, instead of looking to local government, they can look to the church. They can look to the church to help fill and meet all of these needs. Mercy Church, we want to love our city well. Yes, practice social distancing, absolutely. But we want to be people who are generous. We want to be people who are sacrificial. That's who we are as the church. That's how the gospel goes forward. So I want to lead us into our last prayer point. And that's that we would love our city well. That God, please help us to love our city well. That means being sacrificial. That means looking for opportunities in our neighborhoods. I don't know if you're like me, but my neighbors are all over the place. Let's engage them with the hope of Christ. And then if, so let, right now, in your homes, in your living room, wherever you are, Let's take a moment and ask God to help us to love our city really well. And then in a few minutes, Charlie will close us.